This is Film Slob. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I am Sierra Gonzalez, and I am recording this on the very last day of the year. I hope it was all great to you. Today, we're doing things a little differently. As we all know, COVID is out of control, and Patrick is quarantining out of caution today. So I give him a call on Zoom. And it was a little different. We had to learn how to do a couple new things. Um, I haven't been on Zoom since May when I graduated school. So I was getting real first day of school vibes. So we're going to sound a little sedated, but it was a fun conversation. And I hope you enjoy it. I think that's all I have to say. Um, Stick around at the end of the show. I'm going to say a few things about my favorite movies of the year. Enjoy the show. We'll see you next year. Okay, so for everyone listening, this is the first time we've done this uh, show over Zoom, and on top of that, (laughs) there's no video. (laughs) So we're just yeah. Well, well, I can't see you. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see. I can see you. So I feel a little bit voyeuristic. Like would it be like I've got the upper hand here that I can see you and you can't see me. So I should leave the video on because I'm not looking at the (laughs) I'm not looking at the video of my own face. I just covered it up with my notes. Okay, that's good. (laughs) All right. Well, if this comforts you, I'll just leave it here. (laughs) All right. It is comforting. Excellent. You can watch me do my thing in the dark. I turned the light off to get the mood right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So welcome, everybody. Um, Today we're talking about. Uh, the Nicolas Cage film from 2018, I believe, Mandy. And um, Patrick, you brought this yes, to indeed. us. Yeah, yeah. I uh, When I first saw this movie, we were talking a little bit earlier. Both of us saw this when it came out in, in 2018. Yeah. I, um, I saw it uh, with my buddy Leo at the Frida Cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were both just kind of flabbergasted. This was like such a strange movie. Um, but you know, we knew we, we saw something pretty awesome as we were walking out. We were both just kind of stunned and we were like, what the hell was that? Yeah. Was it kind of the talk around Nicolas Cage's performance that got you to go see it? Because there was a lot of talk around his performance when this movie came out. Yeah. I think that's what we were excited about as we were going to go see um, Nicolas Cage in this kind of indie, off the wall horror camp type thing. Yeah. But I don't know. It, it's um, it's a very visually... Um, overwhelming yeah. kind of movie almost and, arresting uh, you have to give yourself yeah. over to it i think and like and like that's very early on like right away um the style is just it, it's removed from anything that you've ever seen uh it's just like overly saturated there's like a fuzz to it like a, yeah. a grain to the film and uh everything's like like lit really strangely and um yeah it just doesn't feel like anything it doesn't feel like a movie that's for sure it feels more like a a music video or like you just stepped into an entirely different world, which at the end, I, I guess they reveal that maybe you're, it's not on earth. I don't know if that's the point of the movie, but, um, Oh yeah. Are that, you talking about that? Uh, the very last shot. Nicholas cage is driving off in the car and it pans upwards and there's like these, it, it looks like a scene out of like a space, uh, fantasy yeah. novel, you know, kind of like a, a book jacket. Yeah. Of, well, just, um, we can just get like right to that. Like, what do you yeah. think about that? What do you think about that shot? What do you, do you believe that we we weren't on earth that whole time? Or do you think um, it's referencing more like the experience of being, being on drugs and being in a, in a, in a world, uh, a separate yeah. from this one? 
I think more the latter. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think it is kind of referencing that LSD experience where, you know, um, when, when Nick Cage takes that tiny little taste of the, uh, L- the biker gang LSD and it just in the jar. melts, yeah, it melts yeah. his face off. It's and, like uh, gray matter in a jar and his face melts yeah. off and he sees the sun <laughs> on fire, fiery sun. Yeah. yeah, like patterns of sacred geometry and his face melts off and he, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's speaking it's to a, that experience, but um, it, it's it's speaking... The, the the drug experience happening in this movie, I think it's uh it's two different experiences for like the cult that's involved and Nicolas Cage what he's experiencing, mm-hmm. because he's kind of experiencing this hallucinatory world like this eph- ephemeral world sort of when he's with Mandy in those two few scenes you know, um, yeah and yeah I, no I I think uh, just going back to that that scene um that that landscape that like space uh, fantasy landscape at the end I think that's something kind of creeping in from Mandy too. Yeah. Um, because she's into that, those um, like sci-fi novels and fantasy novels and things like that. The, yeah. The, the things she's drawing, I think that might be a representation of, of one of her drawings actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. That makes like a lot of sense. Like he's living in her world or something or he's, Sort of, yeah, especially as like yeah. he's covered in gore uh, in the driver's seat and he <laughs> yeah. looks over at her. She's just looking, you know, beautiful and pristine and and um, adjacent to him who's just absolutely covered in gore and yeah. uh, has gotten got gotten done with this absolute massacre. Yeah, and he returns to sort of this state of solace when he sees her again in the driver's seat, like mm-hmm. like he's found peace again and the vibe changes. And I think the idea is that she was keeping him sedated in a way or sort of like in this other world where he didn't have to be violent or or whatever he was in his past life because it hits him that very very briefly that he had a past life that maybe he was like a murderer or violent or something yeah because he had a uh he goes to see his buddy after mandy uh dies right and um uh he gives him back his old crossbow yes so so that's like the hint that um, he had a rough life before he met Mandy. Yeah. Um, and, and likewise is true for Mandy, right? She, um, had like a tough childhood. She, uh, relates a couple of stories or at, at least one. Yeah. The, about uh, the starlings, the starlings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the scene that we're referring to is, uh, Mandy's talking to cage about, uh, a story about her father and how he showed her and her siblings how to kill starlings. And they're just pounding, each starling into the ground, which she describes as a small grave being pounded into the ground. Sort of, right? That's the, the gist yeah. of that scene. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is a bit of a, a bit of a foreshadowing for, for what happens to Mandy. Um, yeah. And th- there's a few instances of that, actually. I mean, and, and sacrifice, uh, ritual, uh, ritual human sacri- sacrifice as a, as a theme in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, the fat, the fat kid, the porker, he's kind of, he's kind of, uh, and, and the deer that, uh, the deer that Mandy, um, uh, Oh yeah. Can we, can we pause here for a second? I think I heard something outside. Sure. Let's, let's. Sorry, I'm back. Did you get thought it? Somebody was uh, thought somebody was knocking on my window. Like maybe it was like a heavy metal biker <laughs> demon or something. <laughs> I'm glad you're alive. Let's. So we're talking about when Mandy finds this deer on the ground and it's like malformed or something, or not completely formed. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what was happening there, but you were talking about 
the theme well, I didn't I didn't notice it the uh, first time, but I think that deer wakes her up. That crying deer. Um, oh. She hears some kind of like wailing animal that yeah. wakes her up, and she wanders out there and finds this uh, dead baby deer. Um, this you know just innocent little thing that just got killed. And um, then she relays the story of the starlings and this um, religious cult has this like innocent looking um, naive fat guy that uh, they're just keeping around. (laughs) They're just keeping around for the uh, opportunity to sacrifice him to some demons. Yeah. So in the instance where he finally gets sacrificed and they carry him away, there's something so specific about the vibe or the tone. I'm like, I love how this movie is making use of like smoke and weird colors. Like uh, things are like yeah. essentially feel like Halloween, <laughs> like the holiday, not the movie <laughs> where they make the use of like simple elements, like the, the, the creepy costumes the lighting, the smoke, there's a lot of smoke and the uh, cosmos. Um, cosmatos. His name is cosmatos. Uh, Panos cosmatos. Panos cosmatos. There you go. Um, yeah. yeah, you can see him make use of all these like elements that might be like corny and other senses, but, um, when he kind of Im- deploys them in, in like the highly stylized fashion of this movie, um, they're really effective and they're creepy and, um, kind of disorienting when you pair them with the, like the aspects of like being on an acid trip. Cause a lot of this movie just, it, it feels like being on an acid trip. I think if yeah. <laughs> I think this is like probably one of the closest uh, has been the as most close accurate. as you can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Close as you can get without has, actually dropping yeah. some has been the, like the most accurate portrayal of what it feels like to be on acid. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to start from the beginning because, like I said, it introduces it itself immediately with this very powerful style, but also the opening song. And I don't know if you know who King Crimson is. No, but, I don't. Oh, okay. Well, it's an they're an English prog rock band from early seventies. I guess you can call them obscure. I mean, Kanye West has sampled their music and stuff like that. He sampled the song 20, 20th century, 10, 20th century schizoid, schizoid man. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's them. Oh, and so kind of like when, when you hear this and you realize that, you know, they, they have a, a song or I, I think, I don't know if it's a song that they previously recorded, but I heard it and I was like, man, this is amazing. Like you can take this very seriously. Cause I fucking love King Crimson. And it, it just like, um, I guess they're regarded as like, you know, high art prog rock, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Something seventies. You said early seventies. Yeah. Early seventies. Okay. Um, one thing that, you know, I was seeing about this movie and the, like the background and, and this wasn't my thought, I'm kind of paraphrasing for, um, some, some arguments that I was hearing online uh-huh. is that this guy's a, um, like a real, real music fan and appreciator of music history. Cause you have some, some things here like this, this movie is very heavy metal music inspired. Yeah. Um, and the cult, the children of, uh, uh, the new Dawn, I think they're called, um, the, what does the cult leader play? He plays some like hippie folk uh, <laughs> stuff from the sixties <laughs> And the point that I was hearing was that this in a way kind of represents the estuary between the sixties and the seventies and the eighties where you kind of, it kind of progresses to like heavy metal music. And, Uh um, and you think about bands like Led Zeppelin, which was kind of like one of those examples of the estuary between the sixties and Uh seventies. 
um, where it's like, there is elements, there are elements of, um, like hippie folk and, um, like the beginnings of, of heavy metal Mm -hmm. and things like that, where it's like, you can kind of, they're kind of all and none of those things all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering, uh, uh, what was the band? You said King Crimson? King Crimson. Yeah. That's the opening song is a song from King Crimson. So does that kind of fit into that? Like progression or like in the history of music or uh in that in that context could you like compare them to like led zeppelin were they doing some like similar things um n- no i think led zeppelin kind of was a little flashier than king crimson i mean king crimson mm-hmm. is flashy in a way that it's like musically impressive um it, you know it's like prog rock like uh rush you know how uh more like it's like musicians kind of music like if you play music you understand how like deeply intricate their music is you know mm-hmm. so i don't think they're as accessible as let's Zeppelin to like a wider audience and maybe that's why they've remained obscure for so long mm-hmm. um but they're like a band that people take seriously like uh like if you drop this yeah. like again in a, in, a, in a musical conversation people are going to want to talk about King, King Crimson. Uh, people have a lot of thoughts to say about them. Like, you know, I put them like not in the same like uh, genre of music as Frank Zappa, but like a, a following like Frank Zappa, you know? <laughs> I see. Yeah. 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 yeah Cause Frank Zappa is like, um, I, I don't know how commercially successful he was, but he's got like a, he's got a huge following. Yeah, exactly. And I feel the same about King Crimson. They're probably even more popular in England. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of a band called uh, Celtic Frost? No. It's a it's a uh, Swiss heavy metal band. Uh-huh. Uh, I was reading that the the axe that uh, Nick Cage uses is pretty much the same. It um, it's the, sh- the same shape as the F in the the Celtic Frost. Oh, okay. Uh, logo. Uh, so it's just another one of those little Easter eggs of of you know to indicate like how much of an appreciator this guy yeah. is of of heavy metal. Yeah, and that's a, like yet another signal that we get that Nicholas Cage had maybe a life before how he like, he kind of yeah <laughs> makes his own uh, like fucking killer axe yeah um, some, some kind of blacksmith of medieval weapons yeah exactly <laughs> and he's like totally capable with a chainsaw <laughs> like, mm-hmm. when he wields it in that like sword fight chainsaw scene it's very phallic it's like who's got the bigger <laughs> chainsaw <laughs> that is absolutely one of my favorite scenes and it's just the visual gag yeah. of him pulling that chainsaw out and it keeps going and so much longer right. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like a mirror of that scene where the uh, cult leader jeremiah um is like being uh dressed down by mandy and he's like just got that like flaccid yeah. <laughs> flaccid dick and he's like trying to like get it hard because he wants to like i don't know rape her or something yeah she's just um, laughing at him yeah she's just laughing at him yeah that's that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie i think i mean he, he play, play he plays the music the music is him right he's uh mm-hmm. yeah she's like you wrote this this is about you um and it kind of just deflates his ego like immediately <laughs> when she yeah, starts laughing she's at him. Laughing at how ridiculous it is that he's so like self-righteous to write a song about him. Yeah. And a, before he puts yeah, it on, he's like, do you like the carpenter? It's like, this <laughs> yeah. is better than the carpenter. <laughs> like so stupid. But, um, I think it, it, it kind of undermines um, what you would expect in that scene because I, I think when I first saw this, I expected like a needle drop. Like, it's, oh, there's going to be a carpenter song that's going to play out like very stylistically, but uh, it kind of subverts your expectations in that scene as to what happens. Like the dynamic changes completely uh, between Mandy and him where she starts laughing at him and he's completely deflated. And then he, he starts, uh, well, he, t- he talks about God and how, like, how everything belongs to him and he just takes everything because it all belongs to him. 
Uh, yeah, and he's he's because he's because he's God or the Messiah or at least got God on his side or something. He's fully justified and yeah, um, just taking whatever he wants. And if um, they don't, and if people don't give him what he wants, then he's yeah. justified and and just heinous wrathful acts yeah which is really interesting because you you, you see this um this very basic blueprint of how religion has been used over and over again throughout time as far as like yeah and yeah. and uh like when when mandy is burned i i see a witch burning yeah it's exactly like, like um she represents a person who rejects the dogma right and yeah. and the um uh the cult is that are these custodians of the dogma that like they need to protect it. So they, um, you know, she ridiculed their Messiah. So, uh, she has to burn. Yeah. And their perception is warped. And I think that's something else that's happening here is their perception is warped because they're on so many drugs. Like, um, the movie is very like hallucinatory, but also I don't think it's like really romanticizing drugs. It kind of makes them out to be like, Oh, these corny people who take drugs, like these hippie types who take drugs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and Nicholas Cage, at the beginning of the movie he's on this natural high because he sees mandy and like if you're comparing him to like a like the truth or something you know he's like he's clearly seeing the truth and experiencing that level of uh just like this sublime feeling that he's high or on a cloud or in space or something you know yeah like man yeah. yeah like mandy was his drug but then when he takes the lsd it melts him down and his voice even starts to change after that. His voice starts to become more demonic, uh, like, uh, like the biker gang. Yeah. And I love how the style changes with his experience. You were, you were saying like, a cosmos is like a very, uh, Cosmatos. Um, he's very into music and this movie feels like it's very much structured, like in the style of an album. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like side a side B for sure. The, the, the gap after Mandy is killed where, uh, Nicholas Cage is, uh, he's tied to the fence or red is his name. He's tied to the fence and then the screen like goes like black. And then you get the second part, which is Mandy. Like that's the, they drop the title card Mandy, like right in the middle of the movie. Yeah. And, and that just so happens to be like directly in the middle of the movie, uh, like one hour in, and then you have one hour left. So it's like, you're getting side A and side B and I'm sure that was intentional. Yeah, it's not, um, it, it doesn't feel like a traditional like story arc. It's, um, you know, the first half and second half are very different just um, in terms of, you know, the, this crazy violent rampage doesn't happen until like the last, the last half. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the first half is totally lit differently. Um, the colors are, are very different. The, the musical score is very different. Yeah. And um, Nicolas and then, Cage's performance is completely different. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's totally kind of. Uh, I don't know. I think he word used the word sedated. He's kind of yeah. He's kind of sedated, subdued. He's living this peaceful, uh, peaceful, idyllic life with Mandy, and yeah. And then uh, you know she dies, and he goes absolutely, absolutely nuts. Yeah, the first half is very much like what you would call a tone piece. I think people might call it a tone poem. I think that's a little corny. So that's like a tone piece. <laughs> and I think if this is a, a genre of movie and the two that come to mind are only God forgives from 2013 from Nicholas Wending Refn. I don't know if you've seen it. Mm-mm. It's very much like a tone piece. Um, and then Kwaidan, which is a Japanese film from 65 by Masaki Kobayashi. And this move, that movie is a series of dreams. And in this genre of movie, I think you're, you're sort of like entering this like agreement to manage your expectations, you know, cause you see like such a powerful, distinct style that you're ready to be placed in like another world. And it's sort of like suspending your 
disbelief almost, but it's also yeah. like suspending judgment and uh, your expectations about what like what a plot might feel like or look like. Yeah, it's it's just it's really visually interesting, especially and there are scenes too where that kind of drops. You know, like it it totally like takes you out of that that lighting and yeah. musical score and um, the the scene I'm talking about is probably the most memorable scene is when Nicholas Cage is in the bathroom, just yeah. like chugging, chugging that <laughs> bottle of vodka yeah. and like drink, like pouring it on his wounds and yeah, screaming. Which is fucking and, brilliant. I fucking, yeah. yeah, he kills it. He kills that scene so hard. Like you, you just see everything that yeah. he's feeling. <laughs> and like you, and he, you don't even see, you, you don't, just yet you also hear it like the what he the way he's yelling the way he's modulating like the yells that he does and like when he sits on the toilet he goes through like a whole other set of emotions all while downing this like this whole bottle of i don't know like vodka or something some kind of clear liquor yeah he, he flips from rage to uh you know sadness and yeah um but I, I just want to note that like, you don't see any of the psychedelic colors. You don't hear that, that droning and foreboding uh, musical score. Yeah. It's nothing. There's no music or anything. And it's just him filling that void with just the most insane uh, over the top per- performance. It's classic Nick cage. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I think we also wanted to talk about Nick cage specifically. I think we mm-hmm. wanted to bring a Nick cage movie and you know, like, so we picked this one. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know if the argument needs to be made for Nick Cage. I think there's a lot of people who appreciate his skills, but I was at work the other day and somebody said, like somebody couldn't believe that I was like a Nick Cage fan. Like in our, in our last episode, how Mar- Marisol was like weirded out that I said Arnold Schwarzenegger is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like some people might have that reaction to Nick Cage. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, I mean, he's, he is kind of ridiculous uh, like if you, in in the wicker man. Like if you ever, if you ever seen the wicker man or, or vampires kiss, like those, uh-huh. those are uh, just outlandishly um, over the top performances. Yeah. But um, you know, I kind of flip back and forth whether or not like there's method to the madness or not, or, you know, like I think I, I heard somewhere that he's, he was like really into like, um, german expressionism in the yeah um like the 30s and 40s uh, that that like style of filmmaking back then and he was that's where he like kind of wanted to pick up and evolve the evolve the craft of acting from that from that point or something like that because it was like he was just um uh kind of like enthralled with that style of acting and wanted to you said that. You, you heard a quote from someone saying he was doing more than anyone to, yeah, yeah yeah i can't remember who said it um oh you know what i think it was a quote from ethan hawk or something yeah and he's like he's done more for the profession of acting than uh or since marlon brando or something like that yeah i mean because he does he takes big chances like in a way he's yeah. him himself i think that's a thing that we like kind of don't hold against actors anymore like we love seeing yeah. actors who are themselves all the time you know it's like people love george clooney or like robert de niro like they're always like you always see the actor there, you know, and he's definitely an actor that you see on screen. He He's almost one note and it feels like elemental in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and I, it, he's like one of the few actors where it feels incumbent on the director to make a thing that fits him, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a story. I, I, uh, I saw this, uh, like an interview on YouTube um, of Nicolas Cage doing the press for into the spider verse. Uh huh. 
and uh, you know, so he was the voice of Spider-Man Noir yeah. in into the Spider-Verse. And when he came in for his first recordings, um, you know, he, he gave uh, some, you know, he, he read some lines of dialogue and the director came in and was like, Hey, you can, uh, you can give us a little more, you know, like you can go a little, <laughs> go a little bigger. And, uh, and the director uh, and Nick Cage was like, Oh, you want full Nick Cage. <laughs> and the director was like, yes, thank you. That's exact. And then he's like, Oh, no problem. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's like going super saiyan or something. It's mm-hmm. it's amazing to see it. Um, I think this movie is playing with that in a way. Like the, it's playing with the character of Nick Cage, uh, and yeah. I, I I think that we that gets reflected in the opening line. Do you remember the, what the opening line to this movie is? Oh, that that epigraph, the um, the, no, the poem in the beginning. No, I'm not talking about the opening dialogue. Like the first words of dialogue spoken in the movie. Oh no! What what does he say? It's the Eric Estrada joke. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So I was like, why is that like the opening line in this movie? <laughs> He's like, Eric Estrada who? He's like, Eric Estrada on chips are from chips. Yeah. And, and so I think they're playing with Nicolas Cage as like the image as an actor and like the character in the movie. And that kind of yeah. sets up this dichotomy. And that's why the movie is split into two very distinct performances. Like the second half is them giving him this place, like go full Nick Cage. And he t- like, he brings it in it. It's like Nick Cage that fits into this movie so well. Like this movie fits around Nick Cage so well, I mean, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the tiger coming out of the cage, right? Yeah, exactly you know, what it is. That's exactly what that bathroom scene is. He's yeah. got the tiger, he's got the tiger shirt. Um, he's just gonna let out all of that Nick Cage, and for the rest of the movie, that's what we have to deal with. Yeah. And then thirty minutes uh, later, it's wonderful. We, yeah. We get an actual tiger in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a fucking huge Nick Cage fan, and I think in the first half of this movie, he's doing something that he doesn't usually do, and I think they're kind of subverting your expectations about Nick Cage, the actor, about what he can do, uh, because he's giving basically every scene away to Andrea Riceborough in the first half. Yeah, like he's letting her take that space, and she inhabits it very well. Like when she's telling that Starling story you don't even know Nick Cage is there. And that's pretty incredible that Nick Cage could disappear in a scene. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, you know, props to her too, because I mean, she's really great. She's, she goes from angelic almost to vicious in that one scene with the cult leader. Yeah. 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 Where she just like, and, and she, she like, um, she portrays that character really well. I feel like I've met people like, Mandy, you uh-huh. know, like, um, just kind of like outcast, um, nerdy. Yeah. Like, you know, she's cast really, really well. And she performs that. Yeah. Uh, she, that she, character really well. Yeah. And she, she's almost acting like with her eyes. Yeah. I, I was thinking about Nick Cage as an actor and like what makes him good. And it's the, the, like that audacity to, to be big. Yeah. To go 110%. He's, yeah. He's just huge. And like, um, leaving Las Vegas, I think is like the, the perfect example of how that energy has been channeled because he's a cartoon character. You know, he's like Nick Cage is a living cartoon character. And, uh-huh. and, uh, and that movie, uh, leaving Las Vegas, like he's, he's out, like he's an outrageous character in that. And it's, um, it's poignant and, and beautiful and, and sad. And, um, it's, it's really well done. And you can like compare that to like the wicker man or vampires kiss where yeah. um, it's the same Nick cage. It's just, maybe he doesn't have the right 
framing around him, you know? Yeah, for sure. Because he can dial it down in some situations and still be highly effective. Like in raising Arizona, like mm-hmm. that's pretty dialed down for Nicholas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's also very poignant. Like when you think of the jokes in that movie and the way he pulls them off, yeah, he's got range and he's able to hold attention and he's just like been so many things across his career. Um, as far as like what he means to people, like I think at one point you might've thought of Nicholas Cage as an action star, which is crazy. Yeah. 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 That, that such a, um, interesting style could, could translate to, to action, you know, like con air and, um, face off and those like, yeah, yeah. he was like a big budget action star for the rock. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Gone in 60 seconds. Yeah. He was doing action and he's just like the most unlikely person to be like an action hero. Um, but he pulled it off and he pulled it off really well. I, I, I believed it, you know? Um, yeah. What other things were you getting from this movie? Um, like another, another, um, I guess, tie to the uh, musical aspect. Um, the, the opening epigraph in the movie, uh-huh. the, uh, the poem that's, that's shown. Yeah. Are you familiar with, uh, with that? No, but I looked it up and um, apparently it was the, it were uh, they were the last words of somebody on death row. Um, uh-huh. so, somebody who was um, convicted of like killing a hitchhiker. Yeah. Uh, and he was like on, on the table about to get his lethal injection. And he's, and this is what he said, mm-hmm. when I die, bury me deep, lay two speakers at my feet, wrap some, wrap some headphones around my head and rock and roll me when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, um, it kind of, it kind of ties together like the main, uh, concepts in this movie, right? Like the, the inspiration of heavy metal uh-huh. and just the pure violence of it. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was neat. The images feel very heavy metal, but also is sort of playing, playing with, with in a way. Like I love how when these things from hell show up, they're on like ATVs and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but just the lighting and the style and the confidence in the tone and the mood in that one, especially that one where it has like this vibrant red background and you just see the silhouettes and the, the headlights of all their vehicles. And I mean, just brought together in like this weird kind of uh redneck meets high art meets Satan. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and in a way, that's, d- the, that's the Pacific Northwest for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, captured perfectly. If you want to know what it's like to be there. <laughs> Nicolas Cage pretty much becomes the devil at the end, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um well what's what's weird is like he's there's there's a lot of religious imagery in this. Like uh Yeah. He's literally crucified and stabbed like like Jesus on the cross, right? And then, Oh yeah, uh, with the spear in the side. Yeah, the spear in the side. Um and uh, his hand is nailed to the floor later, so he's oh. got that. Um, um, what do you call that? Stigmata. Yeah, um, I didn't but, even catch that. But it's so strange. It's like, why would you apply that Jesus symbology to this character that goes on a murderous rampage? He's certainly not turning the other cheek. You know, he's he's going absolutely nuts. It's like, um, I don't know. You, you know, it might be just another um, another kind of poke and prod at, at religion. Yeah. Because they're playing with that with the cult too. And you know, the way that this cult is abusing God or using God as this, um, sort of like this motivation for yeah. the, the way they act are like, that is justified by God or the, yeah. under God's grace. And then you get that scene. And I keep on thinking back to the scene where Mandy starts laughing at him. Like, I, you know, 
it's it's like like I was saying all across history how things have been, but like I think of like manifest destiny or just like imperialism in general, and like uh, the role that religion has in that, and that feels like sort of the broader subject that they're touching upon with the religion in the movie because there is a lot of religious aspects, like especially with that scene of the burning church and the crosses on fire, which is metal as right. fuck, but also <laughs> really powerful <laughs> imagery when it comes to like. Uh, if you're saying, trying to say something about religion, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a burning church is and, pretty and powerful. What's, and what's uh, the thing he tells Jeremiah when he busts his head open? He says, "I am your God." Yeah, he becomes, uh, yeah, either Satan or or God at the end. Yeah, and these, I don't, it, these demons, they're said to be like uh, people who just like took too much LSD. <laughs> Yeah, the, the uh, special batch that the chemist uh, put together. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, it's and also... You, you remember, uh, so when the, the cultist calls him with that um, that horn... Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Drinks the whole jar, and uh, and Nicolas Cage just dips his pinky in there a little bit and tastes it, and it melts oh, his face off. yeah. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, they're definitely making connections between religion and drugs, too. Um, do you have anything to say about that? I think it's just kind of interesting, probably the role that drugs have played in, like, religions over time are, like, men who thought they saw God, and, you know. Um, oh, well, that's kind of like stoned ape theory. You heard about that? Like, uh, You've told me about uh, this. Will you explain it? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, apes, uh, apes in Africa eating uh, psychedelic mushrooms, open their minds to uh mystical experiences and that you know there's arguments that that's the root of our um religious thinking yeah is um chemically induced uh, mysticism going back hundreds of hundreds of thousands of years ago uh-huh um which um is a compelling argument considering like what you can experience on on drugs yeah definitely i i think this movie might be commenting commenting on like maybe the falseness of that, you know, of, of like what, um, how real can a God be if you have to be on drugs to see him? Um, and I think that's why when, you know, uh, red is experiencing this, this heightened state when he's with Mandy is also commenting on like, maybe love, love is God. Like people always say like, God is love, which is, or love is a drug. (laughs) Also that exactly. (laughs) Those two things combined in a sense. Um, to the get Holy him. Trinity, yeah. God, God, <laughs> drugs and love. Yeah. But what I also like about this movie, it's like, it's not hitting you over the head with any of its themes. It's also like very interested in just looking fucking cool. Mm-hmm. There's some really great shots. Yeah. In. It's very interested in just being a straightforward, um, revenge, like fest. <laughs> yeah. And it, it feels like somehow strangely satisfying. Cause I don't feel like he hits like, he doesn't really hit that many obstacles, which yeah. <laughs> and and what problem is there for him to solve? You know, like there's no like greater understanding of himself or anything like that at the end. He's it's um it's just a downward spiral. It, like after after Mandy dies, it's a downward spiral. He does kill everybody, but yeah, um, he's like, I don't know. I feel like his his humanity is is being destroyed through in in the process. Yeah, it is, but you also. It's just there's something thrilling about seeing him just like tear through everybody. 
it's like this, you know, simpler instincts or desires to like yeah. want to see like violence and stuff like that. But I think that's why Nicolas Cage pairs so well with this because this is someone who can go zero to a hundred <laughs> like so quickly, and you're just like ready for it. Especially like the after like the the very long droning scenes of the first half of this movie when he's with Mandy. Um, yeah, and I think it's also very interesting that the second half of this movie is basically is t- titled Mandy. We get the title card halfway through and it says Mandy, the title of the movie, and she's not in that half. Right. Yeah. I, like I, you do, you only see her through his uh, visions. Yeah. Um, right. And she's like a walking corpse and um, yeah. Yeah. He's, that, that's the Mandy. I think that's being referred to on that title card is, is this uh, lasting influence that, that he, that she has on him. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's also, that was probably like the world of like inside her head, you know, it's about like carrying on the spirit of someone. Like uh, if you had lost someone you would want to live on, like through their interest in their stuff and their things, you know? And so yeah. it's kind of toying with that idea too, like the way in which we remember people, like this is probably exactly what she would have wished he had done. <laughs> you, <know>? yeah. <laughs> oh, you get the idea that the, I don't know if you've ever seen in the mouth in the mouth of madness, but in the end of the movie, it turns out like it's like layers on layers. Like you're in a book that this guy's reading in a book or whatever. Mm. <laughs> it very much has, has that feel. Like if you, you can see it in that way. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, going back to that very last scene, I think he is kind of like inhabiting her world um, still, you know, at the very end. Yeah, no, he definitely is. Um, I think that's why I, I, I was leaning more toward that uh, read on that very last shot. Did you notice uh, with the uh, demon bikers, uh-huh. um, violence and sex get conflated? Oh, like when so t- when yeah, when Nick Cage goes into their hideout, like he yeah. finds some dead bodies and there's like blood like all over the guy's ass, and he goes into the next room and like the guy, the biker demons wearing this strap on like sword. Oh yeah, it's like a- and uh, yeah, and. Uh, um, like at the very like to bring this full circle at the very end when Nicolas Cage like like pops Jeremiah's head th- like he like I don't know I, I see kind of like sexual release on Nicolas Cage like right <laughs> after that he's like he like he like moans he's like ah oh. You know, like <laughs> I think like that same process is happening like he's becoming like one of these biker demons yeah that's really funny um, because the first half of the movie does then like doesn't really seem sexual at all. Like the relationship. I mean, they have like a really intense bond, but it, I mean, it doesn't feel as sexual as like the second part feels <laughs> sexually violent. Right. No, they, they, they feel, they seem more like spiritually connected and um, yeah, uh, more so than it being like, um, yeah, physical or lustful. Yeah. Um, did you want to talk about any other scene? Oh, the Cheddar Goblin. What'd you think about the Cheddar Goblin? I was trying to figure that out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I, I think it's commenting on some sort of falseness, you know, like the, these people aren't uh, the, the demons, the bike demons or whatever, the bike gang. Like these people yeah. aren't demons. They're just like fucking drugged out of their mind. Um, and I, equating that with the falseness of God and like hallucination stuff, like stuff I was talking about earlier, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's like the, the farthest, like that's like a reach. I, uh, I, there's probably like a very much like simpler reading of that. What do you think about it? 
Well, I just I kind of saw it as like, um, like the goblin kind of symbolizing like the gro- the grotesque elements of, of commercial culture uh, for sure. But also he comes in after this like horrible, like life changing uh-huh. um, tragedy and uh, he's seeing this just ridiculous commercial on TV and he's actually paying attention to it, which I think is weird, but yeah, he sits um, there and watches the whole thing. Yeah. He watches the whole thing. And when it's over, he's like, cheddar goblin. (laughs) 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 Um, But I think what that's saying too is like, I don't know, maybe the outside world just doesn't really obviously doesn't care about like what's going on with you. Like this life changing tragedy, like means nothing outside. Yeah. Life goes on and it could almost feel like taunting in a way or mocking. Yeah. Cause like this, ridiculous like can't be happy commercial is getting piped in on his tv and he's like going through like the worst experience <laughs> of his life <laughs> Shutter goblin that's one of my favorite lines um other favorites is uh you rip my shirt oh i love that <laughs> you rip my shirt <laughs> the way he screams it this is what i mean about he sounded like uh he sounded like bobby hill taking self-defense training. yeah <laughs> You grab my purse. <laughs> and this is the thing. Nobody else could do that delivery and sell yeah. it. And I was like all about it. That was so funny. I love that scene. That whole fight, the chainsaw fight, it was just impressive. Like the way they're wielding those chainsaws, they're like so nimble. I've never seen them. a, I didn't even know there were chainsaws that big. It's, yeah. It's crazy. I don't know if that's a real thing. Maybe it's like a, something they used to cut trees down or something like large trees. That would make sense. <laughs> Yeah, maybe those super huge diameter redwoods. Or Which is something. so like confusing. That's like what's so off-putting about that is like, does, is that a thing that exists? <laughs> <laughs> but the way they wield them is, is, is very, it's skillful. It's like very nimble. It's like a really cool fight. Yeah, I, you know, I actually got flashes of the Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin Skywalker lightsaber fight during that. Oh, yeah, for sure. You can see that, especially with the lighting. I almost wanted to make a GIF set to uh, that... Um, Freaking, uh, what do you call it? That rave music. <laughs> Sandstorm? Chainsaws. We could have yeah, done Sandstorm. it again. <laughs> we could have done it. <laughs> um, so we agree. Nicolas Cage is amazing, right? We're on oh, that I, love, I love Nicolas Cage, yeah. I'm, yeah. A, I'm a fan. I think that was my biggest goal today is to make the argument. I feel like we make did the it. the case. We wanted um, Pig. You saw Pig, right? Yeah. That's yeah, the one people are another... talking about this year. Yeah, I, I think he might like get nominated at least. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it was amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, an amazing movie, but he dials his down his performance in that one and that remains throughout. So, I mean, yeah. 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 We never see full net cage and pig. Yeah. Not even in like the most uh, appalling or violent scenes in pig. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's not the person that's like going there in those scenes. So it's almost impressive to see him control it um yeah yeah um in a way he's visually very ridiculous in that in that movie you know he like never cleans himself (laughs) he's just like uh just like gory like he he's he rivals the level of gore in pig like how like bloody and dirty he is uh he rivals that with uh mandy yeah um which is also I mean, yeah, that's gory, but that's obvious. I don't even know what to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a lot of, like, gross-out scenes, like the blood on his face and how that paints his face over, like, the rest of the movie. Um, Yeah. The way he just crushes the guy's head and his eyes, like, pop out and stuff. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of just good, like, body horror in this, um, which is... 
doesn't even feel like that type of movie as much as like that. Yeah. This doesn't feel like a body horror movie. <laughs> well, this movie reminded me of like Hellraiser. Um, like the biker demons definitely give off a Hellraiser vibe. Yeah. And uh, kind of like Friday the 13th, like those uh, Nightmare Nightmare on Elm Street, those yeah. holds. I like got that. 80s, I got Evil 80s. Dead with like the car scenes, like the. the yeah. yeah. And the chainsaw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The chainsaw. You can see just all the influences. He's pulling from all the best, basically, and making it very much his own. And that's really interesting because he said in an interview that. Um, he wasn't allowed to watch horror movies when yeah. he was a kid. Mm-hmm. So like he would go to like video rental stores with his parents. Um, and by the way, his, his dad is uh, George Cosmatos. And he he- uh, directed Tombstone and um, oh, okay. uh, he directed Rambo part two. Um, so, so oh, he kind of grew up in that milieu. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, Tombstone's kind of like an important movie for you, right? Like uh, uh, you and your dad. Yeah. Yeah, we used to watch yeah. that movie plenty. I just rewatched it, and, and I thought it held up perfectly. I mean, I think, nice. it, yeah, I think it gets a little flack now for I'm not sure what reasons, but <laughs> I mean, every performance in that movie is pretty damn good. Val Kilmer is probably the best Val Kilmer, who you know, I think is getting a, a resurgence of respect right now. But nice. I think that's one of the best Val Kilmer performances. Uh, old Billy Bob Thornton, yeah, mm. it's just good stuff all around. I have to watch that movie. I, I've never seen it. Surprisingly. For sure. Yeah. Um, but, um, but Cos- Cosmatos, uh, so um, he wasn't allowed to watch uh, rated R movies. So he would basically his inspiration for this movie, he said it uh, for Mandy yeah. was just like the jacket, uh, the VHS tape jackets. Oh, all these like campy horror sense. movies. Yeah. yeah. So like all of the imagery on movies like, um, nightmare on Elm street and, and, uh, like the, um, uh, Friday the 13th movies, Uh like this visual kind of like horror gore fantasy style is like coming just from this, like kid's imagination. Yeah. Like seeded by these, um, images on the VHS tapes. Yeah. I've seen people who try something like this because it, it it feels like tableau esque. Like the scenes, you know, um, almost like a, each each scene is like a different painting. Um, and I, I've seen some movies get lost in this, but uh, I think this movie is emotionally gripping also. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think he's like happens to find a good, good crossover between uh, emotion and art and color and stuff like that. Like he, he's doing a good job of letting the colors also speak for the characters. Yeah. And the, and the colors totally change from that first half to the second half. Um, it like that event, like Mandy's death signals all of this. And then it all, it all kind of like changes like the, the whole, the whole feel of the movie changes. Yeah, definitely. I love it. What, what did you think about the uh, chemist character? Did you notice he had a um, golden gun? I don't know if this was a James Bond oh, reference yeah. or something. And it was a, I think it, I think it's like the same model of gun that's in the James Bond movies too. Yeah. And he has it I on the, like the, sure. the pile of acid tabs, like the sheets of acid tabs. Yeah. 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 That, that image too, like the, the pattern of the acid tabs like with the golden gun on it and him like yeah. dipping the acid, the sheet of acid tabs in the acid, like just with his bare fingers. Like I'm pretty sure that would just fucking kill you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he licks his fingers after. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I don't know enough about James Bond to know what the significance of, of that the is, Golden Gun is. Yeah, but it's got to be a James Bond reference, right? Yeah, it felt like it. I love how um, the music he listen, he's listening to it's like very loud and moody, and then it's the tape stops, and you realize like he's right, actually right. listening to that music. Yeah, it's the film score. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did you notice? So when uh, Nick Cage tasted the LSD, uh-huh. the radio tower appeared. The and that's where the chemist lives. Mm. Um, so, you know, maybe it is kind of lending this idea that you get like this, like hyper, like higher, higher plane of awareness mm. like on, on drugs that like you can make connections that like you can't otherwise. The radio tower in the, in, in like the hill in the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's where the chemist, uh, the chemist lives. He, he, uh, that makes yeah for sure yeah that's an excellent and, and they were like uh communicating telepathically right it seemed that way yeah yeah the yeah he said oh like he agrees to something and he lets the tiger out of the cage yeah yeah what i forgot what he tells him he's like yeah he tells him that the cultists are, are north so you know he he's basically unleashing nick cage on them yeah you know by letting you know he lets the tiger out of the cage and and then tells him to go north because that's where the cultists are mm, okay okay well, cool. Um, did we go everything over everything we wanted to? Hmm. I think so. Yeah. I felt that was actually pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy movie. with that. Uh, yeah, that was great. I really loved watching this movie again. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. It was kind of hard for me to watch this time around just because the mood is like, uh, so heavy and kind of consuming and like I've been like very sensitive to like tones of movies but I, I forgot how mm-hmm. fun this could be I did watch it in two halves I watched the first hour and then I went like grocery shopping and stuff came back watched the second hour but uh, there's a lot of like fun in this movie I mean this movie is a lot of fun um, and I yeah, forgot and about I, that I forgot that it was also funny too yeah yeah there's there's plenty of um, laughs you know, like, you know, when Nick Cage goes full Nick Cage, there's a few laughs. Yeah. But it's also like very thrilling. It's like watching uh, DiCaprio when he's like beating himself up in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> mm. <laughs> he's in his trailer just losing his shit. It's, uh, I got the same vibes. Um, but yeah, I'll end it there. Um, this is actually fun to try. I feel good about this. There's two days left in the year. I hope. Two days left. 2021 was a real bitch. Yeah. Fucking wild. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the rest of the year, Pat. I'll yeah, see you. you too, man. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Um, I'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. And that's our conversation about Mandy and our first Zoom call ever. I hope that went well enough for everybody. We enjoyed doing it. That was a lot of fun. I wanted to talk about this year in movies. We had a really good year in movies, and I think it's important to reflect on that. A couple of my favorite from this year, French Dispatch, Power of the Dog, Come On, Come On, The Green Knight, and Zola. Those are my top five for the year, in reverse order, starting with the last one. So check out any of those. They're all very good. Um, I'd love to hear some of yours. If you want to follow us, you can follow us at Film Slobbery on Instagram. That's F-I-L-M-S-L-O-B-B-E-R-Y. Please subscribe and rate us um, wherever you listen. Leave a review. We really need those. We'd love to hear from you. Hopefully we have Patrick back face-to-face next week. Happy New Year, everybody. Stay safe out there.